re, re, re. Oh, wait, no, we're not talking Psycho. That's, oh, that's the wrong movie. Sorry, wrong, movie. wrong Hitchcock movie, damn. Oh, welcome I back know. to the wonderful world of Cinema Discovery Project. I know that didn't yep. sound like that flowed right, but No, it did not. Yeah, it did it not. wasn't as smooth as uh, we had planned. Uh, I didn't, didn't, really I didn't plan. plan it. I didn't, I I didn't plan. plan it either. I never plan anything. I know, but we are once again back on another new, brand new episode of Cinema Discovery Project. We are um, going on another spotlight, well, going into another spotlight, Yay. I should say. But before we get into that, um, I'm Andrew Cabral, and my co-host is, uh, is as always, Stephen Billings. I am Stephen Billings. Yep, we are in mid-May, mid-May, mid-April. I don't Shit. even know time anymore. We went so far. Crazy. We went into the machine so hard, we traveled into the future. I know. We're taking, <laughs> we, yeah, we're going to be we're bringing that back right now. The Way Way Back machine is back in business, and for this spotlight, we're going to be going back to the 1940s, specifically 1943, with an Alfred Hitchcock film, which Our is first Shadow... One. Shadow of a Doubt, which yeah. is our first one. Yeah. Yes, it has been. We've always talked about it. I think we've always talked about doing an Alfred Hitchcock film at some point, but Alfred Hitchcock, who is one of my favorites of all time, is probably one of the most talked-about filmmakers ever. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think he's definitely, you know, um, when you're talking about filmmakers that are internationally well-known, um, you got your Spielbergs, um, you got your, you know, Al- Alfred Hitchcocks, you have your, I would say... Mm. I would say Martin Scorsese is pretty Yeah, Scorsese, uh, Tarantino is probably, I would yeah. say, up there. Um, I mean, it, no, Christopher Nolan at this point. I think Christopher Nolan's not? made his way up that way, where he's internationally known. Uh, his movies have reached that f- that far and wide that you right. they're, they've become their own entities, and they right. can sell their movies just based off of them. But when um, we're talking about kind of legacy directors, yeah. like mainstream legacy directors... Um, Alfred Hitchcock, I think, is one of the largest because he's yeah. someone I knew about long, long before I watched any of his movies, before I even knew who he was or what his movies were about. I kind of knew, I just knew the name Alfred Hitchcock because I just heard people talking about him. And um, what is interesting is when I was a kid, my first introduction to Alfred Hitchcock was Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Yeah. Because um, they showed it on like... Nick at Night and stuff, and and back in the 90s, and that's kind of how I would watch it. I think it was Alfred Hitchcock Presents, or it was like the revived version they brought back in like the 80s, Alfred Hitchcock Hour, or something like that. But either way, that silhouette of Alfred Hitchcock yeah. is um, exactly is, is the image I've always associated with him, and it's iconic. Yes, that bird, that bird-like face. That I was <laughs> Which very much uh, falls into his own movie, The Birds. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Hitchcock is, you know, some people don't even realize this. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay people's uh, knowledge of Hitchcock, but some people don't all uh, really realize that he is a British director. He's not American. No, um, he's not. He, he, a lot of his most popular films were made once he became more an American director, uh, started working in America more. But um, he had a whole. You know, career before he he did, uh, which Rebecca was his first American film, right? But and, his career spanned from the 1920s yeah. in the silent era all the way up to the mid slash late 1970s. So yeah. we're talking five decades worth of movies, and he did, uh, he did. I think he did 57 movies, 
Maybe I'm a little you should off know. on You're that. You're the expert. I no. should probably know on that. But um, <laughs> I think it's 57. I think I remember. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. But um, we'll, Shadow of the Doubt was, was, I think, maybe his third or fourth movie into making it, movies in America. Yeah, because basically up until the late 1930s, he was making films in Great Britain. Yeah. And a lot of those films are fantastic. They're, you know, they're... Uh, 39 Steps. Oh, Lady um, Vanishes. Lady Vanishes. Uh, you have the original, uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Yeah. That was part of the 1930s. But you had other films like Blackmail, Sabotage, Murder, with exclamation point. I Confess. Um, I Confess. No, I Confess was Is after. Is that after? Yeah, because okay. that, that, that was starring um, 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 Montgomery Clift okay. as a priest. And yeah, that was after, but, um, and then you had like Jamaica Inn, I think was like his last movie he did in like 1939 before he came over to Hollywood, Hollywood, lured him over and lured him over. And his first film was Rebecca. Yeah. The thing is though, um, he, he started out doing movies set in Great Britain, but he was making them for Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like, like Rebecca is, is, you know, is a European film, um, suspicion, European film, um, um, Saboteur, I believe, yeah, is is actually an American film, but it's it's a film that's kind of not propaganda, but it was made as a message to, um, they you know like this idea of like uh, underground Nazi uh, co- like uh, groups in foreign countries, so therefore you have to you have to you know get into the war and stuff like that. Um, it, but propaganda. you also had like, like no, foreign kidding. correspondent is another one where like literally the end of that movie without spoiling anything is imploring people who aren't involved in World War II to get involved in World War II but what makes Shadow of a Doubt so unique is it's so quintessentially Hitchcock like it feels so much yeah. more like Hitchcock than I think some of um, the earlier films he had done in the 40s Yeah, because this was a real you know it's it, we're gonna get into it, but it's hitting on a lot of Hitchcock isms, um, specifically this idea of just like, you know, evil lurking in the background of like, of places that are unexpected. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in Psycho, you wouldn't expect murder to be happening at a motel, or or something like that, and especially in the way in which it was depicted. Um, yeah, I think I think I think with this movie also, it gets us closer to he's hitting on ideas that are a lot closer to what he would be doing later. You know, especially once he gets to Psycho, where it gets real. He, you know, Psycho was a very him swinging a really large stick on that movie. You know, he's trying to do things to really shock the audience. Um, you know, having nudity and you know, you know, very at the time gory scenes though in black and white. Um, you know, this movie well, Shadow of Doubt. Yeah, there was a hint at nudity in Psycho. But yeah, he, yeah. He cut it in a way which there was no because you had to get by. You had to get by the Hayes Code. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until Frenzy where he really, you know, it was an it's an R-rated movie. Yeah, that movie has like rape and murder, strangulation in it. Um, but back, you know, you know, thirty years beforehand, you couldn't really depict those things in in any graphic form. You had to you had to hint at them, but you still had to make them scary enough. And he did. You know, yeah, he, he found made, ways he to be very risque um, by putting, I think. Which is, you know, stuff that, you know, guys like Spielberg learned from him. You know, sometimes not seeing something is more um, titillating than than seeing them. You know, like, so, you know, you'll be in the scenario, but then you'll only get that person in the shadows or you're, you'll just hear something. Um, 
uh, that's off screen, you know, right. and, and he I uses mean, that a lot. You know. He was a uh, first of all. I was wrong about fifty-seven movies. It's fifty-three movies. Oh so God! I was close. You, you just you screwed that. I you had, gotta go back I and had, start this over gotta, again. Yeah, you gotta edit that out. Edit that out. We're gonna trump oh. this. Okay. <laughs> you got, fake news. Fake news. That fake okay. news. But what he um, <laughs> what he was a master at doing is putting the idea in people's minds and having them come up with the the conclusion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's nothing there's nothing you could really put on screen that would be more frightening than what is made up in someone's mind. Yeah. You know, I like I oh, I really like that idea. Oh yeah. You know, I mean God, making, it's we're dealing with audience... it right now with the coronavirus. Yeah, very true. <laughs> people people making... are blowing I mean the media shows yeah. us things that makes it worse in our minds. It does. And it also like kind of lets the audience be participatory with um in the films you know what i mean it's not just them sitting back and just you know eating popcorn or whatever and just taking it all in like like we see in a lot of movies today it makes you have to pay attention which is something i think movies need to be trying to do more of is not spoon feeding information to the audience but making you engage you know and stay engaged Yes, and stay engaged. But Shadow of a Doubt is is a film that we chose because it's not um, it's not one of his um, more well known films. It's well known amongst like sure. Hitchcock aficionados and cinephiles and stuff like that. But it's not Psycho. It's not North by Northwest. Well, uh, it's not yeah. Vertigo. It's not Rear Window. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sticking with our theme, what we try to do with this podcast, we try to discover. I mean, for me, this was my first time seeing it. I did see it. A, I watched it a second time before the podcast. But you know, we are always trying to help you discover things and, and, and not just go for the the obvious choices you know we could have done a psycho or we could have done a rear window which is what most people see but which is what a lot of those films are discussed ad nauseum yeah. in, in in every film school or course on the planet yeah to a certain extent i know i took a I took a film course on alfred hitchcock and they there was there was a whole book we had to read about the making of psycho and and stuff like that and those films are you know my favorites oh of yeah all of this great. stuff but i find it so fascinating to go back to his early work you know his 1930s and 1940s work, and just see where what he was doing before he um became, you know, like like super well known. Before he had his his really well known films, and his 40s filmography is fascinating to me, because it's so eclectic. And I think from to me from from 1940 all the way up to, um, I would say 1960, uh, 19 I'll go 1964 with 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 Marnie. I think he had a hell of a run of films. Yeah. A hell of a run. After that, you have Torn Curtain, Topaz, Frenzy, and Family Plot. Um, those films vary depending on who you talk to. And and for everyone who knows me, I'm a big... Um, Paul Newman's my favorite actor of all time. And I don't think Torn Curtain's that great of a film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he was in it. Um, but going back to Shadow of a Doubt, it came out in 1943, I believe. Yes. And stars um, Joseph Cotton, Teresa Wright, um, yeah Henry Tra- Henry Travers, um, Hume Crone Cronin is in the film. Um, he's an actor I've seen come up a few times in other films. Like he was in he was in Lifeboat, another Hitchcock film from a few years later. He, he was kind of like a career um, character actor, but he he had a very interesting like kind of witty role in this film. Um, but yeah, so you just want to get right into it. Um, I do it. want. To, I do want to also mention this was apparently Alfred Hitchcock's favorite film 
yeah. of his films, his personal favorite film, which is fascinating to me. I, I wonder. Just, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I guess. I guess we'll we'll find out going through it. Um, so the film uh, starts off. Uh, first of all, the score by the film. The score in the film is really well done by Dimitri Tiomkin. Who is who? He was an early collaborator with Hitchcock, I want to say, uh, before you know Bernard Herrmann took over and kind of. Well, I was going to say, I, I was going to say this, and and you know maybe I'm just crazy. I didn't love the the score in this movie. It, it's one of those. I I, I was. It's crazy. very I standard. Like I know. I knew you weren't going to like it. Because <laughs> um, um, it goes between the whimsical like moments, and then it suddenly goes into some, you know, over dramatic. Thing, yeah, I was saying it's yeah. very much one of those scores that it feels dictates, like it's cut and paste. Yeah, it, well, it dictates tone, which yeah. is an old old school way of using scores. I mean, it's still done now, but even today, you know, even you know, today, you know, ominous music leads to something bad I, happening. I just think that happy there's certain music, moments in the, yeah, there's certain moments where I think it overdoes it. Like like there's a scene where she runs it up to get this ring out of his room when he's not she's not supposed to be in there and then it's like super get the music it's super dramatic and i'm like yeah. you're you're not even moving the camera into the room you're <laughs> like it's like no the camera ain't even moving you're getting super dramatic for no reason um, very, that is very true, it, yeah. it gets it gets a little bit over overcooked i think sometimes if you look at dimitri tiomkin's filmography he had, he has 127 composer credits that's that's a good amount um yeah and he was in all yeah he, he did i confess he did dial in for murder um that's just the hitchcock stuff strangers on a train he could, original he could, music to by. be honest with you he i mean it could i'm not saying he's not a, a, a good composer i just this particular movie i wasn't that impressed with the, the score personally so yeah, i'm just i'm just yeah, reading off sure, just sure. to give people context like he also did like it's a wonderful life and red river um, bunch of films. A lot like, of good uh, stuff. A lot, lot of good films he did. Yeah, yeah a lot of amazing films. Um, but yeah, that. So I just wanted to point that out because the score is, like Stephen said, it's it's pronou- it's pretty pretty involved throughout the film. So the film opens up and we get a series of kind of like um. We start off with wide the, shots. the dancing, the people dancing, the on dancing screen. with the opening credits. Yeah, with yeah. The, with the waltz. Yeah. Um, which connects connects later on in the movie. Um, I couldn't quite like, I couldn't quite make that connection throughout it, but I think it has to do with you know the murder and whatnot. I, I think it has to do with maybe a little bit with like how he sees people, maybe you know like he sees people as all happy and he's not happy. Like he's they all it's like all people doing the same thing. Like people are doing you know. He sees people as like this. This and he he has a darkness, and he sees everybody else pretending to be happy, and it's like a cyclical thing. And they're that's what the waltz is is this circle doing this repeated circle thing. I don't know. It it could be taken maybe a couple different ways, but um, I just looked at it as as that kind of being a, a through his eyes a yeah. a, a more I mean, that, cynical I, gonna... view. I'm not going to say that you're wrong. I mean, I I might be wrong, but I mean, there's a connective tissue in it between him and his niece, Charlie. Yeah. uh, Where for some reason she also like hears the waltz in her head. She also hears the music in her head. It's it's interesting. There's a dance between the two, (laughs) which they, yeah, I mean, literally, Um, but it opens up with a series of, I would say like master shots and then like dissolves. I don't know if you noticed, there's so many dissolves in this movie. (laughs) A lot of dissolves. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Hitchcock loved his his dissolves. Um, 
and so he and we open up with Joseph Cotton um, lying in bed, and there's like money strewn on the floor. Yes, and which which of course is and he's not typically where you put money. He's smoking a pipe. Yeah, he's relaxing, and then the landlady comes in and says, "I mean, these two guys are looking for you. One older, one younger." And he starts asking, and she says, "Like, oh yeah, I told them you weren't in. Um, I, you know." Uh, and he's like, and then he's he's kind of relaxed about it, almost he, he, too he, relaxed. He, he, he I, would, I would it. say he's he's. Uh, I would say he he doesn't really care. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say relaxed. I think he's just in at a. It sounds like he's super depressed. Um, like he just doesn't care about what's going on. Um, and then she comes over and and it's like you shouldn't just leave your money laying around. Yeah. I know. You know. You know. This. Got, there's nothing. More honest, there's not. I'm the only honest person here. You know, not everybody's honest. <laughs> Very true. I mean, and and we also know that the two people that are, um, that came to see him are kind of staking out the place. Yeah, they're sitting out there on the on the corner. He sees them out the window. Yeah, and he decides to leave. And I mean, it's a. I would say this, Stephen. It's a, a gutsy move on his part to. To walk by him, right by him. <laughs> <laughs> well, right he, by he's, him. he says he, he says before he leaves, he he says, I think he, if I'm I could be wrong, he says something like, "You don't have anything on me, like you can't, you know, like." Oh yeah, they've got no, they've got nothing on. Yeah, me. so he has all the com- Yeah, he has all the confidence to just walk oh, yeah. by them. Yeah, he has all the confidence in the world. He's a very confident individual throughout yeah. this entire movie. Overly confident, one would one could say. I do love the shots that of of in this scene where he walks away from him, and it has these like very like wide shots. Yes, and you see. Are you talking about it, that that overhead shot? Yeah, the, the overhead shot, and you see him walk down, and he stops in the corner, and then he looks back, and he walks away, and then the two other guys are following him, and they go the same path, um, and then they eventually lose him, and he's like up on a building. Yeah, and yeah, it's really cool. Like the yeah. camera kind of pans back, and you just see you see him like standing over them, very um, ominous. Inter- kind of like yeah, not only that, but just like interesting visual language. Like we were just talking about how confident he is. Yeah, he's literally lording himself over them. Like oh, like you couldn't catch me. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. You tried and you couldn't catch me. And he does, and that's and he decides to skip town. He's leaving. He's leaving town. He's going from. From what we understand, east to west, they never really say where he started from, but we know that he's going to Santa Rosa, California. Yeah, he's gonna. He sends a telegram to his sister's family, um, telling them the new is it the Newton family? I think it. Yeah, yeah, Charlie Newton. Yeah, yeah, because Charlie Newton's his niece. Yes, and and little Charlie. Yeah, little Charlie, (laughs) and he. So he sends. Yeah, he sends a very loving. Telegram. I, okay, I want to stop here. I yeah. love telegrams back in the day because you have to say stop. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm coming over. Stop. <laughs> I'm coming over. Stop. Um, please make sure you have the food ready. Stop. And I just, I, I want to be able to. We should get back to that because that's just fun to do. Yeah, it really is. I mean, <laughs> I think people still send them today, maybe, but Western not. Union. <laughs> I doubt it. Nah, I they don't. It. They don't send telegrams anymore. People barely use telephones. We have email for anymore. That. Yeah, we have email and video calls. calling and yeah. people. People still send faxes. I guess faxes kind of replace telegrams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he so he sends a telegram to say that he's coming to town, and this is where we pan over to Santa Rosa, California, and um, to where we see it. Uh, you know, 
the family that he's going to go stay with. And we get once again get a series of master shots, kind of wide, almost um, stock stock shots of you know, suburbia, you know, white picket fences and, and you know trees and you know you know nice nice you know middle middle class society. And then we see and when we see his family, we first get a shot I think of Charlie lying in her bed, and then we get another shot of uh, the younger sister. Um, the younger daughter character who's lying in the living room reading a book, and and she she gets and she gets the phone call from the telegram office, I guess that that the uncle is coming, and she could not care at all. I, <laughs> let let me tell less. you this. Let me tell you this. <laughs> this this young the the youngest in the family, right. the, this girl, to me, she very much seems like she's the second coming of Joseph Joseph, Joseph Cotton's character. Because uh, oh, later really? on we hear it, we, we there's a there's a there's a conversation where she you know the sister the the mother um, talks about how he always read he always he was very quiet and always read I'm like that's what that's what her daughter does yeah she's gonna be the next killer it's her, yeah, it's her, hereditary her is, yeah her name is Anne yeah yeah she's always well, she, like smart she's very in, she's very um, advanced for her age yeah like, yeah she's reading constantly reading books she obviously knows. A lot she about decided things. she didn't want to remember the message because she couldn't write it down. So she 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 said it wasn't worth her putting her it in her mind. She yeah, only wasn't keeps things her in her mind that she needs that are important. Right. So she's, she's like, very a goal. She's very goal oriented. That's good. It's good for a what an eight year old. Yeah, she was, yeah, she was very young. Reading yeah. <laughs> clearly advanced. She was reading Ivanhoe. <laughs> she was reading <laughs> Ivanhoe. What's interesting is that her dad walks in and right and it was right after that. Right, her dad walks in and he's reading like I don't know like. What was it like mystery books or something like something that's for a, well he kind of for children him and the other guy what's his name uh, the Hume Cronin her, his name was Herbie yeah. that was his character's name but uh, he, he, Hume he, Cronin he, all they do with the whole movie is talk about how how the how best way to kill somebody yeah <laughs> no each other which is kind of makes it even more macabre um, which it's which is kind of fascinating to me that that that's actually one of the the dark humor of the of the entire film, yeah. like the underlining dark humor, is their conversations. Um, it's, well, I mean, I think it's 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 also it's humorous, but it's also I think uh, you know kind of having it wants to talk about how people have become desensitized to things, starting to oh, become yeah. desensitized to things like that, or how um, they just yeah they think about it like in. Like well, they not, think about serious. it, but they don't. They've never really experienced it. No, so yeah, they don't, they don't even like. It's so outlandish to them; they don't even think it really exists. It becomes like, like just you know, Fantasy. pop culture. It's just like pop culture. For well, them. because they're because yeah. they're reading it in like these detective stories, and you, you yeah. know what I mean. They're not really re- they're reading in fictionalized detective stories. Yeah. They're not like it's not nonfiction stuff. Um, it's very interesting how it gives you like looking at it from a modern perspective. You know, it gives us an inside look at the naivete of perhaps that, like, part of that culture at that time. This was long before you had any sense of, like, you know, serial killers or mass oh, murderers. Yeah. Before, like, we talked about in our last episode, like, how, um, you know, the, the Charles Manson cult and how that changed everything in terms of, you know, bringing, you know, like, horrific trauma into people's personal lives and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's long before any of that. I mean, at this point, yeah, there are world wars happening. And, of course, this was coming out of the Great Depression, but we weren't seeing, like, you know, like violence like we would see decades later, like we yeah. see now. I mean, now you, you couldn't imagine like someone from back then coming 
coming into today's society, they'd be horrified. Oh, yeah. <laughs> horrified. Um, but the father walks in and they just have a nice, like, you know, getting back to the story, they have a nice back and forth where she's, she, she kind of like craps on her parents throughout this, throughout a few times in this movie, the little girl Anne. She's just like, basically, you know, that, that stuff's for children, that stuff will like rot your brain and all that kind of stuff. She's kind of like the adult and her parents are almost like children to a certain extent. Yeah. Very interesting kind of role reversal there. So he goes upstairs and then he talks to Charlie and Charlie's having an existential crisis. <laughs> well, she's very much in the same position as we saw um, you know, Charlie at, at the beginning. Yeah, in his exactly. Bed. Lying in bed, thinking about things, presumably. Um, she She's trying to, I guess, figure out, you know, what the meaning, what, what, is, the, what is the meaning of my existence? Like you said, an existential, like, kind of thing. And um, she can't figure out what to do, but to try to, I guess, find the most interesting person to talk to, and that's her uncle, Charlie. Um, right. So she decides she wants to message him. Yes. Um, but she doesn't realize that he's already messaged her, uh, right. or messaged the family. So yeah, the mother, um, the mother character comes home and she and she's on her way out. She says, "You know what? I'm going to go send a telegram." And the mother says, "Who are you going to send a telegram to? You don't know anyone." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, uncle, you know, someone who's going to." I mean, she's kind of. Uh, t- poor girl didn't know what she was getting herself into. No. But she was like, you know, someone who can shake up, you know, the rut in our family or whatever. And that would be Uncle Charlie. That's the and, ironicness. Yeah, that's the <laughs> irony of it all. They're like, yeah, he shook things up or for for she- for sure. So she's gone away, and then the younger daughter says like that. No, I think the husband says like that. That oh, Aunt said there was a telegram, but she didn't write it down and all that. So the the mother calls the telegram office asking what the telegram was, and she's like, oh yeah, Charlie, my baby brother. He's the, he's the spoiled one in the family. Very interesting. <laughs> Um, I tell you what, this this her she 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 kind of reminds me of the weird mom from uh, Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, Ray Finkel's mom. Oh man, but if, that's a but reference. It, but like 30, 40 years earlier, right. um, she has this weird like daftness to her. Um, well, uh, kind of a naivete, and it's like naivete we and 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 just continuous. Just she's always happy. She's always happy, but she's very she's rather peculiar in a lot of yeah. a lot of ways. But what is also interesting with her is right before then, um, Charlie was saying like how her her how kind she kind of hates the way her mother lives, yeah. like this idea of like coming home, cooking, cleaning, sleep, and that's what she does. And her life doesn't have any kind of real and like real purpose. value or or purpose to it. And this was you know years before the. Um, the women's rights movement in the 60s and 70s and women and you know things like that women's equality and things like that where we're talking and we're even talking pre-1950s we're talking you know the pre-leave it to beaver era of what you know the quote-unquote american family looked like yeah. and but we're seeing those kind of traditional roles you know within this film as well you know it's a mother father and and two in a boy and a girl two kids which would be like the standard of what an american family would be post world war 2 yeah. we're just seeing it pre world war 2 so if anything hitchcock's a little ahead of his time when it comes to you know cultural well, yeah you know, this normalcy. is him commenting on america lifestyle cuz you know he's not an american uh, true very so, yeah, true he's, and he, he and he is he probably purposely chose you know you know middle class america yeah uh, you know, suburb America at this point. I mean, I know the concept of the suburbs, I guess, wouldn't really be defined until post-World War II. 
but still, this is kind of what it, what it would look like precursor wise. So, like well, you were I mean, saying, I, like like yeah. we were saying earlier, that you know Charlie's point of view, he looks at the world as this dump of a place, and you yeah, know, and and you yeah. know, to somebody like Hitchcock who is you know British and is a lot closer to the war than Americans are uh, at that time. Um, he's look, he's he in a sense you could say he's using his point of view through Charlie. Um, you know, well, sh- trying to say, hey, yeah. Americans, you have it a lot better than a lot of the rest of the world does, and you're a little naive. Say, I wouldn't even say. I think he's pointing out that. I mean, this is something I was going to bring up later. Might as well bring up now. But yeah, I think with the Charlie character, he's pointing out that there is evil lurking amongst all of the good that you see. And yeah. You have to be aware of it because it will come in in the most unlikely places, including your own relative. Literally, yeah. in this case, um, but, but it's kind of interesting how that, that factors into the idealized look that um, the mother character has towards her brother, where she, where she where just hearing that she, he's coming, um, brings her such joy. Yeah. You know, yeah. The mother's character—I keep calling her the mother. Her name is Emma, <laughs> Emma Newton. But they actually they never really. Re- they, they, Charlie's the only one that really refers to her by name, coincidentally. So. But moving on, so the younger Charlie goes down to the the tele the telegram office or whatever. I'm assuming the post office, and you know says she wants to send send uh, a telegram, but the woman there uh, tells her that they that her uncle's coming, that they've already gotten a telegram, and she's and she's ecstatic about it, not only because her uncle's coming, but because she thinks that there's some type of telepathic connection between the two yeah she's i I tell you what this girl is fucking crazy (laughs) she 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 is she's got some kind of like i mean at least at the beginning of this movie she has this crazy like in like notion notion that they're like it's kind of honestly kind of weird how open she is with her uncle about their connection like it seems seems it starts out honestly a little inappropriate on her side um, I think right. she's a little bit overly sharing and a little bit too. To be honest, I mean, I, what you're saying is not entirely inaccurate in terms of like Hitchcock playing to those notions. Yeah, because he he played with them before. He later on he played with them. You know, there is you know, you know the the un. <laughs> I was gonna say unholy, but you could say unholy. The the weird connection between. Uh, Norman Bates and his mother. Yeah, that's kind of that's that's a weird the only, thing. The only thing you have the thing I think you, you ha- obviously there's context of the time period. Right. People don't act the same way as they did back in that time. But I think the thing you have to remember is that she's younger than you. She looks. She's supposed to be playing younger, and I think they're like we said. She's naive. She's innocent. You know, so yes. she act. She's acting very innocently. Well, she. And not, I, I'm I'm assuming that they were playing up her innocence specifically because then her 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 you know click to reality her come to reality would be that much more devastating yeah yeah so like you were saying Stephen, little she's a little obsessed with her uncle <laughs> little little, little bit, bit obsessed yeah she talks she to think- the, the, the the telegram lady and says you know straight up do you believe in te- telepathy you know like hey uh, i think me and my uncle we can uh you know read each other's minds we know each other that well it's really it's creepy very- it's very pre-Stephen King in terms of yeah. connecting people uh, supernatural-like. Yeah, she, um, she has The Shining. <laughs> yeah, she has The Shining. Yeah, she has The Shining, like 30 years before the book was made. Was, <laughs> was made. Um, 
But yeah, so the telegram lady's like, yeah, I just send mine the old-fashioned way. Go away. <laughs> oh wait, I, I just, I just, bro- I just, I just figured out a connection. The character in the new Doctor Sleep movie. This is the origin story of the Rebecca Ferguson character. Oh, nice, Rose the Hat. Yeah, this is her origin. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> never knew uh, Shadow of the n- Doubt was the precursor never knew to Shadow of Doubt to The uh, Shining. <laughs> yeah. So, but so then, um, let's see. Let's move on to. Uh, the uncle, the uncle is uh, arrives by train, but before he arrives by train, we see like what's going on with him on the train, which I thought was a very odd scene to me. He's kind of hidden away. Um, I'm guessing pretending that he's sick. Yeah, he's pretending I, to be sick so yeah. that he can keep his profile low while he's on the train. He's trying not to be seen by people. He doesn't want people to potentially take his photograph or anything he, did, he just or wants even to be, recognize him at all yeah he's trying to stay you know low profile the whole trip down yeah i'll be on uh, hitchcock is not um he's not hiding the fact that this guy is a bad guy or a no. guilty guy no. he's really he's telling us as an he has the, he's always had this penchant for telling us as an audience what people in the movie don't know yet yeah. or will come to find out you know what I mean? And he does it in this film. Like We There's, already know that this is a shady guy. Yeah, This there, guy there, is not a, a story can be told many different points of view, of course. You can either decide to hide from the audience and go th- or go through one person's perspective, or you can you know, open it up to the bad guy's perspective. You know, There's many different ways you can tell a story, and, and he's chosen, I think, to let the audience in on everything yeah, uh, in this movie. Because it, it's that much – because he – I mean, I mean Stephen, he's the master of suspense for a reason. Oh, yeah. Because if we know – what's going on and the people in the movie don't know what's going on we're like oh man what like oh i can't like you almost want to yell at the screen and tell these people that's the guy that's the killer he's the one doing it and and stuff like that and it makes you sometimes it's better for if the audience knows before the other characters know it makes it more makes you want to interact with it more it does yeah so he arrives and he's what is it actually i want to stay on the train for a second uh, because there's this woman who's like, you know, my husband's a doctor. He could help if you. If you I'm help. on my vacation, woman. And the guy's like, I'm on vacation, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but across from him is the famous, you know, Alfred Hitchcock cameo. He's there playing yeah, cards, yes. and that's Alfred Hitchcock. And he's got a hand of like every single card in the deck. Son of a bitch, cheating. all the way, all the way up to the Ace of Spades, um, which is, I guess, a significant card. Um, so yeah, he's he's work. He, he that's his cameo. He had a lot of fun cameos in a lot of his films in in many different ways. For I think throughout most of them, maybe not all of them, but for most of them. Um, so that's the little Hitchcock cameo in there. So Charlie arrives, and is greeted by of course his his niece, and he comes off the train looking derelict as heck, trying to keep up the act. And of course when he sees when he sees them, he's like. He starts oh, walking hey. faster. He takes a coat off. He swings it over his head. He's like, "Oh hi!" It's like, and, and, it's and, like, and if you if you notice, he is the only one that cuts off the train. He is the only one who gets off the train. I mean, and I mean, they pointed this out in the making of a documentary yeah. that's on the Blu-ray. Is like you know, um, this idea of like evil coming to town on yeah. like black smoke because the train was like um, was blowing out black smoke. And you know he Stuff was smoking like the pipe and yeah yeah he's always kinda... smoking throughout this whole movie yeah um I guess this idea of you know smoke being uh, bad the or... shadow of yeah a doubt. shadow of a doubt coincidentally <laughs> I heard I also read that apparently shadow of a doubt was just a placeholder name for the movie and yet it, but it ended up sticking <laughs> so yeah what do you who knows I would have called up it. working I would have called it Charlie's coming to town <laughs> I know 
like yeah, mur- yeah, murder in a small town. I don't know. That's a terrible know, title. Uh, but yeah, he comes in and the family greets him and um, and everything's all hunky dory. So they go, yeah. they go, they go back to the home. He sees his sister and he's like, "Is that you, Emma? Da 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 from Minnesota?" And like they hug and embrace. Oh, everybody's having a oh, grand old time. Oh, it's I so got lovely. Presents for you. Yeah, and then yeah, and then he goes in. He's like. He's gonna. He's gonna. What's interesting? He's Charlie. The uncle Charlie's gonna stay in Charlie's room, which I thought was very interesting. Kind of, kind of mash up there. I mean, because you know that whole connection that they have in quotes. Yeah. So he comes in and he said, and they're all, I guess, I guess you know, acquainting itself with one another. And yeah, he's got. And at dinner, I believe is when he shows the presents off for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of dinner scenes in this ahead movie, a bit. but Did there's that ahead? one. Go on. A little bit, but there's a one one great moment where um, you know he's going into Charlie's room. He's getting his, he's putting his stuff down, and oh yes, and the father he was about to put his hat on the bed, and he says, you know, that's a bad omen. You don't put your hat on the bed like that, you know. And then you know he's like, you know, that's superstition stuff. Blah blah blah. The father leaves, and then he throws his hat on the bed because he's like the bad voodoo, bad voodoo is here. He doesn't give it, but yeah. the, I would also say that goes back to what we were saying earlier. He, Man's confident as heck. He doesn't give a bad shit. Bad mojo, bad bad luck. Pff, I'm better than bad luck. I I'm I'm beyond. He is bad the luck. bad luck. What are you talking about? Or that or yeah, he <laughs> he's so confident he is the bad luck. So bad luck can't get him if he's already the bad luck. Yeah. Um but yeah, he just throws it on in and we get the scene change to the the dinner. Yeah. Um and I wanna say, is there a I mean is there a scene before this with the Hume Crone character? And the father talking about talking about death or or no? I think it starts during. It might. Eh, I, I can't. Because I know rem- during the second dinner scene is when he comes in and he's like, and yeah, he, he awkwardly <laughs> comes into the dinner and like he's like, oh man, you guys, I already ate, ate but yeah, I'll yeah, sit. You down guys here. are eating so late. How, how like how cla- like uh, fancy of you? Look, um, I got mushrooms. I could kill you with them. <laughs> yeah, that was the second dinner scene. But there's one where he told where they're talking about like. Um, like oh, like hypodermic needles, yeah. like how like he was reading uh, a novel with a with a French detective. I don't even know who could could have been Sherlock Holmes. No, not Sherlock Holmes. Hercule Poirot, probably not. I'm not sure yet. Um, but like he like someone got killed like hypodermic needle, like an air bubble. Um, and then the father's like, oh, that's too fancy. You know, it would be like a blunt instrument. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, what a good old fashioned blunt they're instrument. They're sitting out on the porch talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't, but I don't think that happened. I think it's time. after dinner. I think, I, think that might... you, I think you're right. But yeah, he at dinner there he gives out gifts. He gives out gifts. Um, and uh, you know, like the girl, the Anne gets like a stupid stuffed animal, which she doesn't give a shit about. Nope. Um, nope. Yeah, you know, it, it all started because Charlie said she loved the dress. Charlie says she loves little Charlie's dress, and and she's like, "Well, you gave it to me." He's like, "Oh, yeah. did I? Yeah." Yeah. He didn't remember. He probably yeah. Well, there's, that kind of comes into context later on, I think. Yeah. When you find out really how he how he's been getting all of his money and stuff to send to people, um. So, but he gives he gives his sister, um, what he, he gives her like a like a mink not like a not a mink coat, but something like that, like a a shawl or something. But he also gives her like um pictures of their parents and stuff, um. Which they all like, they all make like remarks over. Like the kid, the younger boy Roger goes, Oh, 1889, wow, <laughs> like stuff like that. And but he also, but most importantly, is he gives Charlie a an emerald ring. 
and this emerald ring becomes it becomes kind of significant throughout the rest of the movie for a couple of different reasons um and and that plays off like right away in like the next uh no not even the next scene because the next scene is when is the 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 newspaper scene yes right the after dinner he's reading the newspaper and he sees something in the newspaper he doesn't want people to see so charlie's like you know what i'm gonna to me i'm gonna be like i'm gonna make like a paper house. well he tries to he, he needed a way to get rid of the the, the particular you know, article article yeah. so he decides to, to to hide his destroying of the paper and him playing a fun game with Anne, showing her how to build a, a little paper house and, th- and those kids that kids she, care. Didn't care. <laughs> she didn't care she didn't, she's, she's sitting like, there kind of like looking off in the distance like this is so meaningless <laughs> yeah yeah and then the kid and then the younger boy walks in roger and he's like that's 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 papa's that's, paper that's papa's paper he's gonna be mad he's gonna be mad and then and then charlie walks in going what are you guys doing to papa's paper and it's like <laughs> let, me, let me like, say, oh, yeah, let me that say that me. other than than maybe Anne, the rest of the family is useless in this movie the, the, lot, there the, there is no the, character development no, no they're not interesting no. the little the, main, the brother is the worst he's just yeah, like there he's just kind of there they're you know what they're they're there for comic relief i guess they're there for comic relief, and I think they're there, like I said, to show the naivete. Because, I mean, spoiler alert, we, we, I know we always spoil everything in these, these episodes anyways. They never find out about their uncle, the yeah. uncle. They never find out the truth. It's only Charlie and the detectives know. So, but after dinner, they have the pa- uh, the paper thing. He he tears off this, this specific piece that he doesn't want them to see, crumples it up. And puts it in his pocket, and I think, and then afterwards he goes upstairs, and Charlie goes to see him. She closes the door. Get again, Stephen, playing into your whole creepy vibe, um, and and then she's like, "Oh, I love the ring that you gave me. Oh, look like, oh look, it's inscribed, and it's like inscribed." <laughs> and he's oh. like, and he's like, and then he he says like, oh, "Well, I can get it inscribed for you if you want to." He's like, "Oh," and she's like, "Oh no, there's something on here already," and it's like. T.S. to something, someone else. Um, T.S., like, initials on it. And he's like, oh. He tries to play it off, sly-like. Like, oh, the jeweler, what kind of, the, he, oh, the person he, who sold it to me. me over. He screwed me over, man. <laughs> he, gave, he gave me the, you know, gave me the shaft. Gave, you know what I mean? Screwed me over. And she's like, oh, no. And he's like, oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, it makes her and, think that somebody else loved it at one point. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah. She, there's he, a sentimentalness to it now. Well, the thing is, he wants to take it back because he wants to have that stuff scrubbed. He doesn't out. want the evidence, the the possible evidence. Yeah, know? I think like his confidence kind of screwed him over in that. Um, and then, and then she sees the um, the crumpled up newspaper in his coat pocket, and she and she's like, she tries to play with them because yet again naivete kicking in. She's like, oh, I know you have a secret and whatnot, and of course he's starting to like get nervous. And she grabs the newspaper, and he grabs her hand, and he starts to hurt her. And I think right then and there is the initial kind of, like, sparking act where things aren't what they appear to be with her uncle. Yeah. Because even though he plays it off in that moment, I think that's the initial thing that kind of sets her off on the on the, the track of truth, if you will. Yeah, she she gets her first real glimpse at him uh, in yeah. that moment, and then he plays it off like he was just messing around, you know. Uh, and then he you know, he's like, "Oh, this was an embarrassing something embarrassing with a friend that I just tried to I wanted to keep out of." Yeah, it's like a know. friend of mine. Yeah, a friend of mine is in the paper, and I didn't want you to see it or something like that. 
and and he decided and but also I believe at dinner was when he he also told the father character that he was going to go deposit money in his bank. Yeah. Right. Uh, because I guess the father works at the bank or whatnot. And the next day, um, he gets breakfast in bed from his sister. Yet yes. again, plays in that whole like he is the spoiled younger brother thing, um, which he obviously, he obviously is. Um, and he, and then that's the day when they're going to go to the bank. And well, she before that she she tells her brother. Oh that yeah, she these tells pe- him about the survey. Right? Yeah, the, the people there's these people coming that want to interview the family. And uh, about, I guess, just as like a study about modern families, you know, in America and, yeah, and it's average like a government families. Thing. Yeah, it's a government like, like survey. A, like about, a census like, thing or something. About like the normal American family. Yeah. In quotes. And of course, he does not want anything to do with it because he thinks this is just a plot to get close to him. Well, I don't even know if he knows that or if he's suspicious of that. He just doesn't he want... He just doesn't trust the government. He, he doesn't trust anybody. He doesn't trust anybody, I mean, but he doesn't trust the government. Yeah, especially. he doesn't want his picture taken. He doesn't want to be interviewed. He, he doesn't, doesn't think his nothing. picture's ever been taken, and apparently he had a picture taken of him when he was a child. <laughs> yeah, other than that. And but, it kind of um, gives us a little bit of an insight on his past that he had gotten in an accident. Um, you know, and before the accident, he was, uh, you know, he read, like I said earlier, he read a lot... You know, he was a quiet boy, and then he got in an accident. It was like a bike accident or something, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, and uh, it kind of changed him from there. Um, Very interesting how I mean, playing on the idea that past traumas can have a long-lasting effect and implicate your future. Yeah. Which is very interesting because at one point during the film, he he kind of, kind of states his philosophy about life in general, how... There is no the he he's not he doesn't care about the past he doesn't care about the future all he cares about is now yeah is the present which is kind of interesting philosophy to he to he, adhere he, to. he he wants to forget about things that have happened to him and he also doesn't want to think about the things that his actions have on the on the future that's, that's yes he just at this point is just trying to live in the moment and doesn't care how his actions affect other people. He's very, very much become a, what you would call a soci- sociopath. Yes, <laughs> yes, he is uh, egotistical sociopath. So they go out, um, and he's going to go to the bank, and he gets to the he goes to the bank, and man, he he's he very much wants tip- to play with. The oh, he's playing with everybody. Yeah, uh, in there, um, because he's just like he's doing the typical like kind of cool uncle thing, where he's like telling like. Like like jokes and stuff about like stuff you probably shouldn't joke about like people's jobs and in the world. Well, you say something like it's like uh, you know don't get caught in bezeling. Yeah, basically, he's like, yeah. Yeah, you know, like you know, take a little off the top for yourself. It's like all this kind of like. Oh, it's yeah, easy to know, hide six dollars here and yeah, six dollars. You know. Yeah, all the books balance out in the end anyway. Uh, they'll never <laughs> notice, and he's saying it out loud. The thing is, is I, I think he's having fun, but I think he also very much means what he's doing. Oh, like he, he, oh, he, you could probably tell he hates. Like he hates any type of structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any type of structure. And so he's ribbing on the uncle out loud in the middle of the bank and the and Charlie young Charlie is like, Uncle Charlie, you're saying that out loud. You probably shouldn't be saying that. Yeah. And the father's like he's like not saying anything, but he's like, you know, inside he's probably dying. You know, and he's like, Okay, you're gonna meet the head of our bank now. Don't say any of those jokes because he's not yeah. a joking man. And and he's walking around just flaunting the cash. He's walking around with forty thousand dollars in cash, which 
even in by today's standards, is a decent amount. Still a good amount of money. That's a lot of money then. Back in the early forties, apparently it's the equivalent to like half a million dollars. (laughs) So, so he's just like flaunting it. So he, 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 he's still playing with the. um, He's playing. He's playing with the uh, the head of the bank. If you think about it, and just bringing out the money, he like he's counting it in his hands. If you think about it, he's kind of like the Joker in the sense of like his like he loves the anarchy. And he has he just has no use for establishment and money and and having any anything like that. He just keeps going day by day, just trying to figure out a way to to mess up stuff, you know. <laughs> well, he wants just just stirring up chaos for the sake yeah. of stirring up chaos. Yeah, oh. even to his own family. Oh, even in yeah, even in his own family. Um, so he he deposits the money. And you know, without then these two like, women show up. No, yeah, the two women show up because she wanted one of the women wanted like five dollars to go to the store or whatnot. <laughs> um, and I think they were part of some one of the local women's like groups with the along with the uh, Emma Newton, um, and and whatnot. So so the young Charlie's introducing her uncle to them, and and whatnot. But on the his one way the out, one woman's a widow. Well, and yes. she makes a joke about how, which I thought was in bad taste. I was like, she jokes about, oh, being a widow, I don't have to ask for money. Like, I have it because my husband's dead. <laughs> I'm like, what? Wow. That's basically what she said. She was just like, like, I don't have to ask for money. I got money from my husband's death. Well, it's <laughs> very, well I mean, just from a modern context perspective, that's kind of how things were run for a very long time. And perhaps still run today, where the husbands of the family, who were the main breadwinners, yeah, they, they were the main working income, you know, getting the income in. They were the ones who ran all the money. Uh, they were the ones who, who dealt with all the money or had all the money. There, I mean, there's probably so many things you could go into in terms of like whose names are on the bank accounts and all that kind of stuff. It was typically probably the man, the the husband in the family. I mean, in in many cases, it was the opposite, you know. But I mean, it just shows the sense of you know misogynistic society that exists back then and can still exist today. Mm-hmm. But as you were saying, it was brought up in a light manner. But now that you bring up that she is a widow, we get a revelation soon in the movie that kind of plays into that a little bit more. Um, because but, the because the the killer that that the yes cops are looking for kills widows. widows. Yes. That was the, the big reveal. Uh, what was, was the, name, what was the name of the killer? The Merry Widow Murderer. Yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, uh, yeah, which is, I guess it looks good in the headline. I guess. <laughs> um, but as he's leaving the bank, he tells the father character, he's like, he's like, you'll be running this place in a few years. You and should watch. You should away. watch him. You'll be <laughs> just keep an eye on him. You might be running this place in a few years. Uh, keep an eye on that boy. Yeah. <laughs> liar, liar. Uh, but um, yeah. And then he walks out, and they're and they're walking back um, into the in the Charlie and Uncle Charlie are walking uh, back to the house, and you get and what is interesting, you get again Hitchcock tips us off right away. The two people who were there to do the survey, I mean, one guy says to the other one, "There he is." So he we is. assume they're 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 looking for him. They're cops, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're detectives. So they they're like, okay, so we're gonna start walking up to the door, and he's gonna see us. Uh, to know that we're here, like yeah. he, they're also playing with them a little bit as well. So he go so because the she, thing is, is yeah. they they don't know who if he is the person. No, they, he is one of their suspects, and they need to get like I they need to get a photo 
particularly so that they can help ID him based off of people that might have seen him back in where the crimes happened. Yeah, well, so. like apparently there's a witness who knows what he, what the person looks like. Yeah. And there's another person back east that they're looking for as well who may or may not be the one they're looking for. Yeah. Their suspect, the suspect, the murderer. So, but he starts freaking out um, to Charlie saying, you know, can't believe your mother went for this. Can't believe they they tricked her into doing this. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be involved at all. And he and she's like, don't worry, I promise you won't, you won't be involved at all. You, you know, you know, I'll make sure of that. Yeah. So I, so he go, they go inside, and the two guys are interviewing um, the mother Emma, and she's just going. She's like, oh, what are you guys, what are you doing here? My husband's not even home yet. I'm not even I'm ready for you guys yet, and all that kind of stuff. And they were, and they kind of just kind of work their way in. And they're interviewing her and like asking uh, all kind of like generic questions, but she she starts going off about kind of nonsensical things like 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 oh this is how you bake a cake first you got to do this well, yeah first she wanted things to be perfect and they came too early so she was like I can't show you you know how to the baking in the kitchen you have to I'm not ready for the to do the eggs yet you know? yeah but I gotta I gotta do certain stuff with the butter and all this kind of stuff and yeah so then they're like we're gonna go upstairs yeah, she, well, Charlie well, little Charlie's gonna show us around upstairs. Well, and of course, little Charlie, who was defending her uncle right away, because they say, uh, "Oh, there's um, what five people?" Um, yeah, yeah, they're trying five. to get the t- trying to get the tally down of people. The and, tally down. Yeah, there's and, like five people, and she's like, "Oh no, there's four. And he's like, "Oh, and the, and my uncle's just visiting, so that's how she tries to play it off. And she's she's obstinate. She goes right at him. She's like, "Hey, if you're not, gonna, he doesn't want to be a part of it. And if you, and if you don't accept that." You guys can go find another family. Like yeah. she's she's a strong-willed character, and and I mean her world's about to be kind of kind of kind of shaken a little bit soon. But she's she's very she she's very she's still at that point where she's defending her uncle staunchly. Yes, and she's so she so they were like, okay, let, can we go up to you? Let's can we go up and photograph your room? You know, what does a typical American girl's uh, bedroom look like? And she's so like, they, oh no, my my uncle's staying in yeah. there. And then, and then the and one of the detectives is like, oh, is there a back door to here? And she's like, yes, there is. It's right down the hall. And then and he says, I bet you, I bet you he's not in your, he's not in that room. He's not. I bet you he's not in that room. And, and of course, they're he's not. just trying to get her to go in the room. Oh yeah, they're trying yeah. to trick her to go into yeah. it. But I mean, like he, what we learn is that yeah, he 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 bounced. He's gone. He definitely he slipped left. out. Yeah, he slipped out. Um, he slipped out, and then one of, and the photographer goes. The guy posing as the photographer goes into her room, I guess, to take pictures. Probably not. I mean, I don't think he cares. But um, what is interesting? Her uncle comes back in while they're talking, and the photographer is like, "Oh, time to get one in the hallway." <laughs> and goes click. <laughs> and, and, and he takes a picture of Charlie. And, he uh, does, and, and automatically he, Charlie's like, "I'm, you know, I never I had get, my picture. I need that film. I'm gonna, you're get gonna it. have to give me the film. Yeah, gotta get it." And um, and I mean he says it nicely. I mean, granted, he's like, I like. He, he said it nicely can't. in that cold serial killer way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have yeah. to take that from you right now. Yeah, very Patrick Patrick Bateman esque, I guess. Yeah. With a smile on his face. Um. And he hands him the film, or what we presume to be is the film. Yeah, so like, we find so out like, later that he switched it. Yeah. Yeah, he switched it very very slyly. So they walk out. So they're like, okay, we gotta go, and then the way, and then, and no, uh, Uncle Charlie says, oh, I think my sister said something about like 
the eggs are ready or something like that. And he's like, oh, yeah. And then so they go downstairs and like, oh, yeah, we have to leave. We ran out of film. <laughs> something. And so they leave. But the the younger detective asks asks Emma if he can take uh, young Charlie out later on this evening. Um, yeah. And she's like, what? she's like, well, why? You want to you want to take Anne out? Anne knows where where everything is in the town and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, no, Charlie. Um, and Charlie, and so they go out, and we don't get like a kind of confession conversation or anything like that. All we really get is kind of the aftermath. Did you find that odd, Stephen? Yeah, it is a little bit of an awkward transition. Like we skip, like they skipped a scene, like they cut it out for yeah. some reason. I don't know if they cut it out for time or cut it out for plot or maybe it was just never shot at all. But what we get is there's just the reaction and it's, um, and I, I, it's, they must've not been able, or they maybe like script wise, they couldn't figure out a good way to, uh, um, you know, get to that point. Maybe, I don't know. It's, it's possible they had a hard time getting to that point in the script. They were like, how are we going to get him to confess himself and it seemed natural. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, so b- what we get is her kind of like shocked, like, you're lying. You know, what you're saying isn't true. And he's like, yeah, we, you know, the person we're looking for is a bad guy. And we and we think your uncle is this bad guy. And, and but there's a guy back east who also may be this bad guy. But we're trying to get, the, like we just said, we're trying to get the picture to identify him and all that kind of stuff. And and she's like, oh, you want to take me out just, just to just to manipulate me and all that kind of stuff, and and just for this, not because he wanted to. But then he's like, no, I kind of wanted to take you out as well. Now, Stephen, we don't know how old Charlie is, but this this gentleman here is not exactly young. No, um, I, and to be honest, granted, different times. It movies, is a very well. I mean, blah, it, still, blah, blah. it still happens today, but like. It, Age is just a number, but I mean, I, 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 <laughs> honestly, all that even stuff even is. just taking out the age problem, I I never believe any kind of like romanticness in, at, between these two at all. I, that um, was probably one of the weaker part of the movies. Yeah, this, this I, one they don't really have any romantic chemistry. Well, they barely you barely have scenes with them doing anything together. Yeah, other than like this confession scene and like them. Them in a garage. In a garage. Yeah. And then, but, like. But he's already later. confessing his love in that scene. So it's like. Yeah, he does. And I'm like, didn't you have me know this girl for like two days? <laughs> Jeez. I mean, it's a little, I mean, there is the idea, you know, you know, instant love, love at first sight, all it's that kind of stuff. It's something that's played but, up in most older films. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this isn't, this isn't before sunset. You know what I mean? This yeah, yeah, yeah. Before sunset. We don't that, take, we that, don't take two films to confess our love. You know, like, you know. Basically. Well, 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 I mean, I meant like this idea of in you know Link Lasers before sunset. That connection was there. No, yeah, yeah, but like, you know I mean? they, like they, they don't train. even they don't say I love you to each other in the no, first but movie. They don't even have to. That's how strong the connection and the love is between the two characters. Yeah, I mean, granted, I'm comparing two different movies. I'm just I'm just using it as a as yeah. a reference to like connection with love in film and whatnot. But no, that's kind of one of the weaker part of the movies. But she. But this is when we, but then she returns home and now, like I said, that seed of doubt that, you know, that center, that has center on her track is now growing. You know what I mean? It, you know, the seed of doubt that's been planted is now growing and growing and she's kind of bewildered by it. You know what I mean? And I believe this is when we get the, and she's kind of shocked by it, you know? And I mean, this is kind of, this is probably someone who 
that doesn't really have a concept of what you know murder is or or you know what hein- heinous acts someone can commit you know what i mean so this is kind of shocking to her and i believe this is when we get the second dinner scene Stephen, you can correct me if i'm wrong uh it, it, with where the uh they're walking where- they're walking home the two the the father and the and the other yeah. guy I think, but also the dinner scene where he can, where you get, you, where you get, get the confession about how yeah, he hates widows. Yeah, and how he hates, <laughs> it, it is a chilling, chilling monologue delivered yeah. by Joseph Cotton. I hate Chilling, them. where he compares widows to just, garbage. calls them animals. And yeah. He's like, just festering like swine, like, you know. Fat wheezing animals. Who are just living in their wealth and just hoarding it all and just, they're just the, you know, the worst people ever. And he, and, and yeah, he, and, and it's during this scene where you praise, where us as view, uh, viewers, we know this guy's, this guy's the, this guy's the killer. Yeah. This guy's a murderer. Well, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, and now Charlie must be really, really, um, you know, you know, significantly convinced at this point. Um, but she's not fully convinced quite yet. But this is the scene where, um, oh, it's at the end of that monologue, you see Charlie. I think it's Charlie's um, voice off camera that says, "Like, but they're still they're still human or whatever." And then Joseph Cotton looks. He turns his head. The camera doesn't move. Turns his head, looks directly at the camera, and goes, "Are they?" And I'm like, for a split second, I'm like, "Damn, that is chilling to the bone." <laughs> and and this is when Hume Cronin comes in, and he's like, um, "You know, you know, I would, you know, I would." Uh, the father's like, "You know how I would kill someone?" Uh, I, would, you know, <laughs> he does the mushroom. He's like, "You know, accidental murder. You know, it would be manslaughter at best." And the father's like, "You know how I would do it? Uh, drown you in a tub." <laughs> <laughs> and the and door then, stops and then, and then little Charlie murder? jumps up and is pissed off. Yeah, yeah. She's like, "Can we stop talking about murder?" And I believe this is the night where she goes to the library to yes. see the back issue of the newspaper, which people forget that the libraries used to do that. They used to have the back issues of all the newspapers that that, came that was out. the uh, internet back then. Uh, that was the, yeah, that was the <laughs> internet back then. So she runs in there, and she, you know, the librarian's already closed, but she she lets her in, and um, you know, she finds it and finds the article about the murders. Yeah, and this is when she gets the Mary find out the Mary Widow murderer, and we get a a um, we get this just point of view shot of her reading the article, and it's just like taking up the whole frame, and it just. And the camera just panning down, panning down about all the information. It's just like this most traumatic, dramatic um, score you'll you'll ever hear. And it's and it's just her, and it's just that revelation that her uncle is probably this murderer. Yep. So from there, we move into what's next? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, this is when, um, da, 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 da. I think this is when we get, um, the, the part where, um, yeah, we've already gotten the revelation that the picture that they, have we gotten the revelation that the picture that they took is, is her, no, we haven't gotten that yet. I think this is when, like, aren't they at church the next day? And this is when the other detective tells Charlie 
Oh uh, yeah. That they that they actually have the pictures. Yes, she's walking with him with her, the one other detective that's not the creepy one hitting on her. Um, yeah, the is, older one. Yeah, that is saying that they they got the shots and that uh, you know tells her about the switch um, that they made and uh, that they're going to identify soon um, who the, the person is, who the right person is. So yeah, and then just stand he, but by. she's like she's like they don't want and but we find out through the conversations between both detectives that they don't want to arrest him in town. They want him out of the town because they want him, they they kind of don't want to make it a big scene, I they're, guess. They're, try, they're trying to be discreet about it. And and what they do is they decide, and so they're trying they try to convince Charlie to somehow get him out of town. Yeah. And what is interesting is that um, she's kind of like... I think she's still torn about what to do because she doesn't want the because tr- she knows the trauma that well, she, have she on doesn't her want she doesn't want to, to embarrass the family either. You know she 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 though she has her you know thoughts about it and she thinks that he could be this person. She doesn't want it to affect her family. She, she's yeah. keeping that shame to herself. Right. For her family's so she, sake. But she decides she's going to try to get him out of town anyway, but not going to say anything. But what ends up happening is that the other suspect, get um, he's not caught, but he, he, he dies in being pursued by the cops. Yeah. Um, this is when the He father, gets hit by, what was it, an airplane? Yeah. The, pr- propeller? The propeller. <laughs> yeah, by by airplane. You hear by, it by the father and that guy talking. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, they love that stuff. Yeah, they're like, oh, that's, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> you know, like they, like it's some crazy, you know, like you said, desensitized. They don't really, they're so naive, they don't realize how horrific that is because they've never experienced it. <laughs> and, but now she thinks that she's kind of off the hook in terms of her participation in this. Well, I mean, well, no, I mean, she, as soon as, as soon as that, you know, that knowledge comes to, she sees Charlie and he's just like, well... I'm going to get something to eat. You could tell his mood changed from, you know, they think that the suspect was him and they went after him and he died in their, their pursuit of him. So they think that they got their guy and that right. he's dead. Well, I meant like younger Charlie is, is she <clears throat> younger Charlie. She's still, um, her reaction is, is interesting because there's this scene where, where uncle Charlie's walking up the stairs. And like you said, he's in that, that good mood. And then he turns and looks down, and Charlie's in the doorway. And he, I think at that point he knows that she knows. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very ominous. Yeah, she's like, I, I'm not letting you off the hook. I know that you've done you're, – you're, it's you. You're the one. Um, because he, he, he found out that she went to the library. You know, So he knows that she's <clears throat> investigated. Oh, yeah, because uh, when she was going to that library <laughs> – she um she got stopped by the cop in the street. Oh that oh you yeah. know what scene we skipped over? Holy crap! That's where we were. After when when she freaked out at that dinner, she left. Yeah, right? she, that's when she left. Yeah, and she, she yeah. left and she ran away. Uncle, and uncle, then she and then he she, stopped. He he went after her. Yeah, yeah, that's the scene we just skipped over. Yeah, he goes that's after, what they go that's what that, messed like, us up. Yeah, they go into that bar. They go into that that bar. Yeah, bar, whatever. Where her friend her friend from school was working, kind of random, and. And she's like, oh, I've never been in a place like this before. And they sit there and they have, <laughs> it's not quite the heat, the um, 
the scene from Heat between Pacino and De Niro, <laughs> but it's in a diner, kind of, and and they're um, and and this is what and 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 she. She pretty much knows, and he kind of yeah. I mean, he like he, he kind of you know he confesses to her. That's what I, he does confess to her. This team we skipped all this. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah, it's not yeah, like yeah. I didn't just watch this movie twice in three days. Yeah, um, yeah. It, sometimes things can get jumbled if you're not. They do. Yeah, I mean, they do. Um, this is what happens here on the Cinema Discovery Project. We just we're trying we're to go off of memory Texas. when we probably could take a little bit of notes. Probably could, but <laughs> but that scene I think is vital because it is pretty much a confession. Be t- um, where and he, he and just, then he like literally like takes some like piece like of rope or napkin or whatever napkin and he like pulls it, like like he str- he strangles somebody mm, with it strangling it and, yeah, and she's yeah. looking at it like yeah I wonder what those hands have strangled before yeah uh, and but he this is where he he kind of his nihilism about life kind of just comes out where he just says people are people are terrible people are yeah. swine they're awful you pull back these houses and he, all you see is just you know, terrible, you know, terrible, worthless people. Yeah. And it just shows how much contempt he has for humanity. He hates and hates people to a crazy extent. And it's, and it's wild when, it, and it's just kind of wild how he came to that point, which we don't really get a lot of context as to how he became, you know, what he is. But any, but in, in a way that kind of um, no, I mean, it's, builds it's, up the mystery where it could be anyone. It could yeah, be I mean, yeah, in a I mean, it, like that. it's it's you know how like we talked about you know with other how that influ- probably influenced a lot of other filmmakers like John Carpenter and you know where you don't need to know everything about the killer for him to be scary. You know, it's you know they he, he put masks over his guy's head, but you know in this case we don't know need to know his history. That's why I think movies like the first Rob Zombie Halloween make that character more less interesting because we don't need to know what he had for breakfast. We don't need to know, you know, like we don't need to see his, you know, beginning in right. detail. It's nice to have plot, you know, hearsay. It's nice to hear somebody talk about it, but we don't need to see it. It needs to, it didn't need to be visualized. So, I mean, we, we, we can, we can, like you said earlier, we can, it can be put in our heads. What did he do before this? You know, we'd never even seen him murder anybody, you know, though he's right. supposed to be this murderer. So we we've never even literally seen him kill anybody yet. So it's all imagination. Yeah, this is how and and then and then the next the next scene is is um that yeah, is, yeah and the next scene is when they go to the church and all that stuff yeah. and then we find out about the other suspect and then and then we get a scene where apparently her uncle is going to be um um uh, like honored at some dinner or some talk or something in, yeah. the, in, in the in the community, and they're all getting fancied up. They're all getting gussied up to go out uh, to go to honor him. Essentially, apparently he's ingratiated himself within the community to a great extent. Um, and what and what that and what it means is they have to take separate cars. But young Charlie is supposed to ride with Uncle Charlie, and she goes and she's going to go out to get the car. And she goes and gets. The, she goes to the garage, and the car is already running. Yeah. And of course, that's leading to a lot of gasoline smoke and exhaust fumes, and basically the stuff that'll kill you. <laughs> and yes. she tries to get out. She can't get out. The door's the door's been jammed, which was an earlier. Which is another scene we kind of skipped over too. Kind of skipped over because we, we mentioned it kind of where where the detective has this weird scene in the garage with her. Well, you know what it is. It's the one. That, it's it's right after. They find out that um, 
the suspect the other, is, the other suspect is died. killed and yeah. and um Uncle Charlie's looking out the window and the co- and the detective shows up and they go and they talk in the garage and they try to get out and the and the door's jammed. Yeah. And, and Uncle Charlie yeah. just happens to be standing out there and he's like, Oh, went back in my day. We didn't go into garage when we wanted a long time or something like that. Something dumb. <laughs> yeah. Something where it's like it's like, dude, you're tipping your hand that you basically jammed that door because you're standing there. Um so but so but we skipped she- over that, but it's foreshadowing. Yeah, she oh, she goes in, cars running. It's already very uh, fumy in there, and then the door closes, and you know, it could have fell open, it fell closed, but no, he he was there. He lodged a stick under it, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so he's trying to kill her. Yeah, and yeah, and inside the house where they're all getting ready to go out, he puts the like the he turns the, the radio up, on, yeah, the phone turns radio it up loud, turns it up loud, and the kid's like, "Oh, I love it loud," and it's like, "Okay, yeah." <laughs> Yeah. Who cares? Uh, uh, yeah, here you go. And then uh, and then the Hume Cronin character comes in and says, hey, there's somebody stuck in the garage. So why didn't you just try to save them? And why did you have to come in and, and announce he, it? he went for help instead. Yeah, kind of, stupid. <laughs> stupid. So they all run over and they're trying to get this door open and then Uncle Charlie kicks the, kicks the stick aside and, and then... That's, he takes very it. much takes charge, so it doesn't look like somebody tried to kill her. Right, but what yeah. happened actually before this scene was little Charlie was, uh, what the younger Charlie was trying to go out, and she went down the back steps, and one of the steps broke off, and it's yeah. like, and it's like, and we know that that was Uncle Charlie trying to kill her. Yeah, <laughs> he's trying to kill her uh, by sabotaging so that she'll fall and like I guess break her neck or something or yeah. fall and die. I mean. It, it, that would be fall, a, wouldn't that be a dark part of the movie what if she fell down the steps broke her she got paralyzed and now she's in the hospital and he like comes damn. in and he's like yes Charlie it, you know, that would have been that yeah, would have been dark that would have been very very dark um but this scene suffocation in a in a garage it's kind of kind of a kind of dark way to go out either but what is interesting though is like apparently back then you could turn the car on and take the key out of the ignition yeah glad, that, that, glad they kind of got yeah. rid of that yeah that, that's not safe <laughs> yeah. uh, glad, i'm glad they they threw that they threw that mechanism away yeah so he puts the key back in when he and he turns the car off and he's like they're like and she's like oh, i couldn't find the key and it's like oh it was in there when i went in there yeah um, so she's like uh, you know don't um yeah don't... when she comes comes to she's like get away from me oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, not only that, but she's also like, you know, he still tells them to go to the dinner, go to the talk, um, go, you know, don't cancel things because of me and whatnot. So she stays and they go. But when she stays, she's trying to call up the detective, trying to get a hold of him because, you know, she's in danger, she, obviously. She, yeah, she knows that it's time to bring in the cops. Yeah, she knows it's time, but she can't get a hold of him. She's calling up all the places that she was guess, told that he may be and she can't get a hold of him. So she goes up to his room and um grabs the ring grabs the ring because earlier in that in that put in that bar scene she basically like takes the ring off and doesn't want it anymore because she knows where it's from it's from the woman that he murdered obviously yeah and and of course he takes it and hides it and he's like and then he taunts her afterward too he's like you know you know where's the you know you don't have any proof you know where where's that ring i don't have it you don't have it it's just gone but he she finds it in his room yeah she and knows she, puts she it realizes on. she he took it yeah yeah and then she puts it on so when they all come back and they're all having this after i don't know after party if you will get together she taunts um, him back <laughs> yeah she taunts him back by walking down slowly stair slowly with the ring on on her hand on the banister and and he sees it and he's 
he's a little freaked out by it. So so he so he announces to everybody, you know what? I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. I gotta get out of here. So he's like, oh, it's kind of time for me to hit that old dusty trail. Gotta go. Gotta go. Um, and then there was a moment where like they're outside talking, and she's just like, I'll kill you myself if you. Don't leave my family alone. Oh yeah, she's she's she, she's like she, to the point. Tur- yeah, she's turned into something that she's that she wasn't early on in this movie. That naivete, that that obsession with her uncle, that was you know, like you were saying, borderline creepy, whatever, is now turned to pure hatred. Now, if I pure if I could hatred. use use a, a comparison to another movie, she's gone from Sarah Connor at the beginning of Terminator to more like Sarah Connor near the be- end of Terminator. <laughs> yeah, maybe well, be- yeah. be- beginnings of Terminator 2 I don't know but this closest I can think of off the top of my head <laughs> oh yeah she's 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 getting a little bit more badass she's a little bit more in control now she's more well she's her eyes have been opened she's yeah. more aware of who her uncle is how the world is and she has to be on guard now so so the next day but what is interesting is that that dinner scene where she announces that her her mother becomes very emotional because because you know she is like you know we were so close when we were younger but you know i got married and moved away and you know i she's weird to see you no i'm just kidding i mean yeah i mean yeah okay weird but what i think hitchcock is i don't know saying about that just kind of like the distancing between people you know affects can affect people's relationships And and sometimes you you think you know someone but you've been away from them for so long that they're no longer the the person that you thought they were, you know, when you were younger or or whatnot. And that happens, and yes. that ha- and that can go one way. Things can go good, and people can become better people, or things can go south, and people become awful people. I mean, life is just kind of up and down in that way. Um, what is and and so the next day, they go. They go to get. Uh, they go on the train. Apparently, the the kids like accompany the uncle on the train. I don't know. It sounds kind of kind of sounds like a safety problem to me. But basically, they all come off, and uh, and Uncle Charlie basically traps Charlie there because yeah. she knows too much. She's a loose end, Stephen. She's a loose end, and she's got to go. So he's gonna throw her off the train, and. <laughs> They have a struggle, and the door's open, and he's holding her, like, over, pretty much about to throw her out. And he's like, no, wait for it to get a little faster so that basically, to can, like, she'll die. No, She'll die He's trying to make sure that, that throwing off her train won't will actually kill her. Yeah, he um, wants to make sure no loose ends, essentially. Yeah. And what ends up happening, she ends up kind of knocking him off the train, and, yeah. he gets, and he dies. It's a little ridiculous, but okay. Yeah, he, he he gets knocked off, and then like another train is coming from the other track, like towards like the opposite way, and I guess assuming runs him over, and then the end credits hit. No, the end well, credits there's don't one hit. scene we where get, she's with the detective. We get a funeral scene. Yeah, we get a like a not a post credits, but we get a funeral scene yeah. where the whole town shows up. The whole town, seemingly, they give him like a <laughs> like multiple car like caravan and all that kind of stuff and it reminds me of the end of the dark night or dark night rises where they're or at the beginning of dark night rises when they're celebrating somebody that actually was a bad did something very awful but the you know they're keeping the image keeping the image together for the good of the yeah harvey dent yeah you know gotham's white knight yeah you know and yeah that's very true and there's even like an overlay of narration of like 
assuming a priest or somebody saying like, oh, he was Santa Rosa's child or, you know, he was <laughs> sent one of our own and all this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, it's like us as viewers were like, this guy was a murdering scumbag. Ah. <laughs> he tried, he, he killed several people, stole their money and tried to kill his niece. I mean, this guy's a scumbag. And, and he, she has one final talk, um, uh, with, um, the detective character and then, and, and she confessed that she held like back like in, in information and um, and they basically resolved to keep Uncle Charlie's crimes a secret. They kind of his his, his deeds kind of die with him. Yeah, she 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 wants to, as as we said, you know, she wants to keep the integrity of her family. So she, they just you know decides to help cover it up. Basically, um, yep, that's what happens, and that's kind of a bitter, bitter, a cynical ending, a very cynical, cynical. yeah, very cynical. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not a happy ending. No, not, not particularly. I mean, this poor girl, her life is completely her shattered. Her innocence has been shattered and... And, like, she's gonna have to carry this burden in her life for... Now she's gonna have to go back to her bed long. and start thinking about things again. Yeah, talk about existential crises. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's gonna continue on for her. Yeah. She's gonna have to have, hopefully her other uncle's nice on her father's side. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I hope. That'll be the sequel. Yeah, I know. A modern day remake. Now, now, uh, looking into this, you know, there's there's been some movies that kind of have been remakes um, and also inspired of the movie Stalker mm-hmm. that was made um, uh, by Jap. I think it was a Korean director Park Chan Wook. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Stoker. I think so. Yeah, Stoker. Yeah. Stoker um, is kind of inspired by this movie. Very um, similar. But yeah. obviously, modern day, you can take things to more. Yeah, yeah, they go in different directions. Obviously, creepy level. But it's a pretty good movie. I like. I like that movie. Yeah, it's kind of an origin of evil yeah. movie. Um, very, very interesting movie, starring. Oh, Matthew um, Good. Matthew Good is in it. Nicholas Zakowska. Uh, and Nicole then, Kidman. Uh, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, written. Um, I believe the screenplay was written by Wentworth Miller who many know probably as the lead actor from the show Prison Break. Yeah. But um, apparently he took a lot of influence from Shadow of a Doubt for this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that so. came out 2013. Yeah. But yeah, that's Shadow of a Doubt, Alfred Hitchcock, 1943. It's a definite... I, I would say it's, you know, above his average stuff. I think, it, I think it's... I think it's not top tier, but it's it's like at least it's 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 in the top. I would say in this top fifteen. Oh movies. yeah, I would say top so ten, maybe well. even top ten. Yeah, I think it's quintessential Hitchcock for a lot of reasons. You know, this idea of of him playing with us as audience viewers, this idea of him injecting evil into uh, into a situation where evil is not typically known to be. You know, small town, small town America at the time. Yeah. Um. You know, like evil comes to town, something like that. Um. It's playing with you know certain taboo stuff when it comes to the, you know, weird uncle niece relationship. Maybe it's there. Maybe it's not. I mean, I I couldn't say, but it wouldn't le it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility since Hitchcock is always pushing the boundaries in many aspects of his films. Yeah, this movie very much plays on that I you know kind of a movie talking about abuse you know it's a movie mm. about you know sex you know, even you could say sexual abuse though there was no actual sexual nature in the movie necessarily but you know when you're talking about it you know somebody that 
is admiring of somebody else and then they betray their trust and then they try to keep them quiet is something that is a relationship that happens between abusers. Um, Not only that, but I think this idea of, um, you know, you shouldn't, um, the downfall of ideal, of idealizing people, like making people idols. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know how they say, don't meet your heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that, I think plays into this movie. And, you know, like you, like we've been saying, you know, there's there's always an, an, a, a dark side to everything. There's not it's not, not everything's pure light. Well, you so. know, life's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's yeah, a very oh, mean God. and nasty place. Jesus. That's from another movie, isn't it? <laughs> it's from uh, Rocky Balboa. Y- yes. <laughs> the uh, the sixth one. <laughs> yes, it is. The sixth one. Uh, but I think that, that will conclude this spotlight. Yes, it uh, will. On the Cinema Discovery Project. Where can we find you, Andrew? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Capzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Capzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Cinema Discovery Project. You can also find me on uh, Letterboxd, uh, where I post my ratings of the, all the stuff I'm watching. And sometimes I'll do a list. Sometimes I'll do, you know, I always kind of, you know, do. I, right now I've been just watching as many new movies as I can posting what I've, I'm watching in there and um, I'm up to like 60 movies so I'm doing pretty good so far um, nice that will be it and thank you for listening go to Podbean or Apple Podcast to get this download and we will see you in the next episode and hey keep on watching the movies I know I will <laughs> <laughs>